Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henrik, as Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I wanted to remind you before you listen to this week's podcast that our Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award submissions are due by March 31st. This $2,000 grant is for emerging crime writers of color, and you can find out more at sistersincrime.org. Remember, March 31st is the deadline. Don't hesitate to apply or to reach out with questions. Hello, it's Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime. I am delighted to welcome Wendy H. Jones to the podcast today. Wendy is the award-winning, best-selling Scottish author of the Detective Inspector Shona McKenzie Mysteries, Cass Claymore Investigates Mysteries, Ferguson Flora Mysteries, Birdie the Buffalo Picture Book Series, and the Writing Matters series of nonfiction books for writers. She's also the president of the Scottish Association of Writers and an international public speaker. When not writing, she loves to read, travel, attend theater productions, and eat out. Sometimes she combines them all. Wendy, thank you for so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Um, let's start the conversation the way I always start these conversations and ask when you, when did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? Well, to be honest, I've always been a writer. I mean, when when I was seven, my mother gave me a typewriter for, and I'm talking a proper typewriter here for my (laughs) birthday. Most kids get dolls and things. I got a typewriter and I was always a reader. I've always, always, always been a reader since I was three. I had a library card and um, I could read. I was an advanced reader. So I started writing fan fiction before fan fiction was really a thing, before it had even been heard of, really, I think. And um, I started just writing. And then I always wrote um, all throughout my military career. I was in the Army and the Navy. I went all over the world and I always wrote letters home. I wrote down what I was doing. I wrote things about uh, my travels. And I always wrote, but it wasn't until about nine years ago. um, i I retired early because I was ill. I'm fine now, by the way. But um, I, when I stood up, my auction levels dropped. So you can read and you can write when you're sitting down. So I thought, <laughs> oh, well, I've always wanted to write a novel. This might be the ideal opportunity to do it. So I did. And uh, the rest, they say, is history. I, an idea came to me and I thought, well, I'll give it a crack. You know, why not? And I did. Right. Yeah. So you'd always been a reader, but nine years ago you decided, let me let me write a novel. Had yeah. you tried that before, taken classes? How did you build the craft? Well, I, I'm a university lecturer. So I had um I was a university lecturer. I was the head of pre-registration nurse education for the Army, Navy, and Air Force. And I, then I was in teacher training. So I always had to write. I had to write academic textbooks and articles that I'm sure if anybody read them, they probably thought, oh, why is my tutor making me read this? You know, and like all <laughs> university textbooks, you know. Um, but so I'd always written um and I'd always 
had to write. Uh, I, I studied to PhD level. Um, I got ill, so I couldn't finish my PhD. So I was always used to academic writing. So I'd been taught how to do academic writing, and I just transferred the skills. I'm a great believer in transferable skills. I had tried writing a memoir before, but I got so far, and I thought, why does anybody want to know about my life? You know what I mean? Nobody <laughs> knows who I am. They've got no interest. So I'd ne- I had dabbled in it. But I'd never actually tried writing a novel. I'd written short stories and things, and I told my nieces stories when they were little. But really, I just got a, opened a Word document on my computer and cracked on when I first decided to write a novel. I, to be honest, before you think I did it all blind, I read a bunch of um, books on writing <laughs> mm-hmm. before I did. <laughs> and so how long did it take you to write that first draft of the first novel? Well, I started it during NaNoWriMo and I did the bulk of it and then I did the um, uh, the rest of it in December. So it took a couple of months, but that was just a first draft. Obviously, it wasn't for another two years. It was edited, it was professionally edited, I re-edited it. You know, lots of things were done to it before it saw the light of day. So the whole thing was written in about eight weeks, but the proper writing of it was a couple of years really and did you um were you always drawn to writing mysteries i mean you've also written nonfiction. And i want to talk about that but but was it was that first novel of a mystery yes absolutely it was the first di shauna mckenzie mystery and um i basically i've been reading mysteries all my life when i was young when we went to the library um you got out what you wanted well i read my way through the entire children's library by the age of 10 literally every book and in those days you couldn't use every library in the system you had to use your local one you couldn't then go with your car to a library you know half a mile up the road because it wasn't the right car for the right library so i i went through all the you know, Famous Five, Secret Seven, Nancy Boy, um, Nancy Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, mm-hmm. all of those, you know, any mystery book. And then when I got onto the adult ones, I was only 10. I managed to get an adult library ticket, despite the fact you were meant to be 18 before you got one. <laughs> and I started reading Agatha Christie and all of those types of books. Mm-hmm. I also started reading P.G. Woodhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how popular P.G. Woodhouse is in the States, but he's very good and very funny. So there's this humour in my books as well as the mystery. So I combined them both. So it was always, and then I've always read mysteries. I could read any book that was in the house. So if my mother had a mystery book around, if she'd finished it, I read it. My aunt, my gran, anyone, I just read their books. So it was always mystery I read. I mean, I have read other things. I've read Danielle Steele and, you know, we all go through a, you know, a, a, a phase where we read romance, but Absolutely. I was never drawn to that. It was not my cup of tea, you know. <laughs> it was always, let's kill people. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you're learning how to write mysteries. You write a mystery. You write the first in the series. What drew you to that character in that that first mystery? Well, There's a funny story about it, really. First of all, nothing happens from a dream. There's no dreams in my book. But um, a friend of mine was up here and she was talking about something that had happened when we were younger. And um, I had a dream about it that night, you know, and and I woke up in the morning and I thought, oh, my goodness, that would make a marvellous murder mystery, you know. So I 
started writing the murder mystery from that, really, um, because I had the idea. And I'm a bit of a pantster. I do tend to just write and hope for the best. Although I did learn after book one that I really do need to do a bit of plot planning because at the end of it I discovered that I hadn't investigated one of the murders at all. <laughs> it said there was a murder the police all kind of peered at the body and then went, oh well and they never bothered investigating anymore so I had to kind of redo that um, it was a bit of a you know, it, it was a thread that had never been tied up so I do do a bit more plotting after that but it was always going to be a mystery and that was where the idea came from and I just wrote the mystery really and it's a detective, you have a detective inspector as your main character. Um, did you have to do a lot of research or did, you know, what, how did you, how did you know what they did? I mean, I feel like I know what detective inspectors do because I watch so much British television. I read so much, so many books, but I, I'm fairly certain that I would completely muck it up. So, so how did you find out what she does, learn about her? Well, First of all, well, I'm going to tell you the second bit of the funny story, which I didn't tell you. That was my fault. But um, basically, she was originally called Detective Inspector uh, Shona McLeod until I went to an event at the library with three fabulous Scottish authors um, who you probably have heard of, um, Carol Ramsey, Lynn Anderson, and I've completely forgotten the name of the third one, which is terrible, but it doesn't matter anyway. But it turns out that Lynn Anderson, her main character is called Rhoda McLeod, and it sounded far too much the same. Yeah. So her name got changed to Shona McKenzie, which has worked out quite nicely because it sounds good. But um, how I found out about the police was a twofold thing. First of all, um, I know a lot about the police anyway. Having been a nurse, I've worked closely with the police uh, mm -hmm. through my time. I have a lot of friends who are police and um, I spoke to them. My best friend's father from school had been in Dundee CID. So I went round his house and he gave me loads of insight. Um, but obviously he'd been retired a long time because we're not spring chickens, any of us, you know. <laughs> and um, so I needed to get somebody more... Um, up to date. So I just sent a message to Police Scotland because we've only got one police force in Scotland. It's called Police Scotland. In the first one, it was Tayside Police, but it moved to Police Scotland by the time it had come out. So, um, and I, I sent them a message and I said, any chance I could come and speak to somebody? So they sent me a message back and they said, oh, yes, your local sergeant will come around and talk to you about anything you want. And I said, all oh, right, okay. They said, when would you like them to come? So we set up a date and they came around my house. Now, I hadn't lived here very long, so I was a bit worried about what the neighbours might be saying about <laughs> police cars at my door already. Um, so he came in and he ate loads of biscuits. So my, I have to say, my detectives eat loads of biscuits, eat loads of cakes, because <laughs> to my knowledge, that's what the police do. I was in the military, and in the police in the military, the Air Force, uh, any of the military, the fire brigade you eat when you can because you don't know when you're going to get to eat if you get yeah. a shout you're not going to get to eat so they do eat um and he ate loads of biscuits and drank loads of coffee and he was here for about five hours giving me advice wow. i kept saying to him i'm terribly sorry but i'm taking up your time would you not like to go you're meant to be working he said oh i am working fair enough and i discovered that that Scottish in police Scotland, you can go in and out of the CID. It's not that you join the CID, or now it's called a MIT, but we'll stick to CID because everybody knows what it is, um, which is Criminal Investigations Division. It's now called a uh, major incident team, and it's Scotland-wide, but we just stuck to the local for the sake of the book. So anyway, after five hours, he basically said to me, 
um, you know, right, I've given you all this information. He said, for heaven's sake, don't actually write what the police do because it's as boring as heck. All we do is paperwork. We don't do anything else. He said, everybody will die of boredom by page four if you do what we do. (laughs) Just make it all up. Do what you like. Anyway, the Scottish police are not armed. No guns. If you need guns, there's a specialist team that goes in, yeah? So nobody in Scotland has a gun. It's completely persona non gratis. And um, But I basically need, at the end of my books, a specialist team, the firearms team. And all I do is turn my team into the specialist firearm team Um, because otherwise I'd have to introduce 20 new characters at the end of the book. And my team wouldn't catch the person that did it. that's a very long answer for a very short question sorry yeah but it's fascinating i mean it's 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 being able to answer questions and talk to people and just that tidbit about eating when you can because if you're called out you you may not be able to eat again it's it's such a it makes so much sense but what a wonderful tidbit of information to have and to to use in your characters Mm. Yeah. Um, so you have a detective inspector. Are the other are all of the books official detectives or are some of them, you know, private investigators? I mean, tell me tell me about your other because you've got a lot of series. Yeah, right. In the uh, well, in the detective inspector, Shona McKenzie mysteries, they're all in the police. Everybody's mm-hmm. investigators in the police. Cass Claymore isn't in the police. Cass Claymore is a red-headed motorbike riding ex-ballerina who inherits a private detective agency and accidentally hires an ex-convict dwarf and her granddad. <laughs> and basically, there's a ballet dancer, a convict who's a person with dwarfism, and a, pe- a pensioner, an 80-year-old, doing the investigating. So that's Cass Claymore Investigates. It's just a laugh out loud load of capers. And how that came about was I decided to see if I could do something like Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum set in Scotland. And that's what I came up with. So it's just a load of capers, to be honest. Fergus and Flora are a couple of 14-year-olds who... um, are investigating. So they're young adult mysteries. Um, Flora is, her name is Flora MacDonald. And for those of you that don't know, Flora, the original Flora MacDonald was actually the person who helped Bonnie Prince Charlie escape, took him to Skye to get away from the invading English armies. Yeah. Uh. So she's a real heroine. And so she always says she's the great, 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 however many greats, granddaughter of the original Flora MacDonald. So, I mean, I don't know whether the original Flora MacDonald had children, but I can make it up in my book. <laughs> and Bertie the Buffalo is a real water buffalo who lives in Fife. Um, he ran away accidentally. He fell down a hill, ran away in real life, and I was asked to write picture books about him. So he's real. <laughs> <laughs> so you write adults, um, you write amateur sleuth or private investigator, you write police procedurals, you write uh, young adult and you write a picture book series. And th- you've only been writing books for nine years. Yeah. You know, you're how how many books a year do you write? Well, it depends how busy I am. I mean, my first ones came out a lot faster than now, but um, the most I've written in a year is five. Um, That's the most in one year. But um, some of them weren't as long. So it 
it was fine. The Ferguson Flora mysteries are not as long um, yeah. because they're roughly 40,000 words. So they're not as... And I'm a really fast typist. For The reason I'm a really fast typist is because my mother made me do typing at school. <laughs> she was convinced <laughs> I was going to be a secretary. <laughs> but it all came in useful anyway. <laughs> it does come in, in useful, you know, but <laughs> boy, should be surprised that the different different paths you've taken right yeah yeah I think really quickly I was in the military we're trained to think quickly and my brain is goes at a million miles an hour so you know once I've got an idea I'll just type and type and type and do you you said that you're more more of a uh, pantser than a plotter or or how do you do does it depend on the series or I'm uh, at the moment I'm using more plotting the reason for that is just to really throw a cat amongst the pigeons um I am writing a historical series not mysteries just a historical series based on the true story of a gentleman called Thomas Graham who was a 19th century um naval surgeon who came from I've got to say this I'm throwing it in because it's the most wonderful word in Scotland he came from Ecclefechan on the west coast of Scotland near the border with England and um, by the age of 16, he went to medical school in Edinburgh. Then by the age of 20, he was a fully qualified doctor and surgeon and joined the Royal Navy and went all over the world and died at the age of 31 in Wampo in China. Wow. I'm writing a series based on him. Um, so I really need to plot that because everything has to be in the right place. Plus, I can't say that something happened like, you know, this, for example, he went to America. So I couldn't say that the American uh, civil war was going on if it wasn't, you know, right. so I really need to plot things into that. Um, but it does mean I can go all over the world researching, which is great. So I am plotting more for this series. And I do do a bit more plotting now because obviously I plot out the bodies. But the thing is, I know what happens at the beginning. I know who the killer is. And I know you get the killer story in the D.I. Shona McKenzie's. I mean, you get the killer story alongside the um, police story. Mm -hmm. So I plot them in when they're going to go in. So I am doing a bit more plotting rather than just chucking a chapter in. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to the historical because I find this fascinating. Yeah. Is it going to be an adventure series or uh, is it inspired by his life or is it truly his, what he did or how yeah, are you approaching it? I've, I've been told by an agent that it can be called faction. So it's basically fiction, but 90% of it will be fact, um, or maybe we'll say 80%. But then I can throw things in. The people around him, some of them will be real, but some of them won't. Now, my chap was a, a prolific letter writer, um, and that will come in. He wrote to really, I mean, we're talking... He wrote to the Duke of Wellington and got responses from him. I've got all these letters in my house, by the way. I've got everything in my house. I've not got the originals before everybody tries banging by my door and stealing it all. <laughs> um, I only have the originals of some things. Uh, for example, and I'm sorry, I'm going off the track a bit here when it comes to crime, but for example, his... Um, his uncle was also called Thomas Graham, and he was Admiral Lord Nelson's surgeon. And he may or may not, I don't know, have cut off Lord Nelson's arm, Admiral Lord Nelson's arm, or wow. removed his eye. I don't know. Wow. But I have got the receipt, the original receipt from medical school for the payment 
And it was the payment that said you were a doctor. Until you got that receipt with the payment for your medical school training, you couldn't call yourself a doctor wow. or you weren't a qualified doctor. I've got Admiral Lord Nelson Surgeon's original medical school receipt from wow. Surgeon's Hall in Edinburgh. But that's and that's in, that's locked away in a bank. So before anybody thinks they can break my door down and steal valuables, I had no valuables in my house whatsoever. But I've got copies of letters and things. I've got copies of his sketches that he did. I've got copies of the poetry he wrote. I've got copies of everything, everything he did, because the man was amazing. I've got his medical school diaries, copies of them. I've got copies of his ship's diaries, copies of the shipping maps he drew. I don't know when he did wow. any actual doctoring, to be honest, because he seemed to do a lot of everything. <laughs> and how did you find him? Well, I was asked to write it. Um, there was a gentleman called John Beagle who lives in Australia. Um, he's in his 80s, and he was looking for some... He spent 40 years researching this gentleman, um, and he has um, was looking for someone, and he wrote to the Scottish Association of Writers, and it landed on my desk uh, with the, this has got your name written all over it. Because I was in the military, but I was actually a nurse in the Royal Navy. And I'm from Scotland. So yeah. it fitted in beautifully because yeah. it, it works. And I've got all the contacts. I was in the mil nurse in the army as well. So I've got all the contacts with the people, the naval historians, the naval medical historians, um, the uh, army medical historians, um, I can get information from them. Um, and as I say, I'm, I'm getting to swan around the world doing research, which is marvellous. I've I, I got a grant to go to Antigua to do research wow. um, for when he was there. Um, I got another grant to go out to America to speak at a conference and do research in uh, the Library of Congress and the New York Public Library. Uh, so it's been amazing, amazing. Yeah. Well, and historical fiction and historical mysteries, but historical fiction's a huge um market. People love historical fiction, yeah. but they also it does take a lot of research. As you said, you you can make some things up, but not you got to get the real history right otherwise people yeah. are going to call you out on it so it's a Absolutely. huge process yeah. yeah even things down to the ship i'm quite lucky that my chap in his letters to his sister he was brought up by his sister he writes down every dimension of the ship and what the wood was and so i'm quite lucky because <laughs> it's there but you can't say he was in a you know he was on such and such a ship and it was you know 40 foot long when it was actually 100 foot long you know right because right. some historian somewhere is going to go, you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. You've got to get it right. But what I've discovered, and this is this is a tip for anybody that's doing historical research, people want to talk about their interests. They want to help you. Everybody wants to help you. If you approach them and you say, I'm researching this, I'm really interested. Now, I approached um, Chatham Dockyard down in um, the south of England, and he, that was his first, um, the first place he went as a doctor. And I, when I said to them, I'd like to come and they, they said, oh, Wes, we'll set it up. And they gave me my own personal historian for the day. And when I got there, they'd got out all sorts of um, books for me, 
where I could see everything. They looked him up in the naval list because he was an officer. They looked him up in the naval lists. Every officer is in the naval lists. He sh they showed me his where he was. They showed me all the ships he'd been on in the official naval lists because every time you posted, it's in there. They showed me everything that I needed around the background. They got instruments out from the time. They got artifacts out from the time and showed me everything. And wow. they spent all this time getting ready for my visit. People want to help. Yeah. 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 So always ask because people go, oh, nobody helps me. And I'm like, well, did you actually ask? Because if you ask and you explain, and I mean, I usually do it with finish with saying, thank you for your consideration. I will fully understand if you're busy and are not able to accommodate right. this. I've never had a problem. Right. Never. Everywhere right. you go, everywhere you go. You know, yeah. um, even down to, I went to um, the New York Public Library where you're not allowed to take photographs, yeah? And I, I went up to the librarian and I said, I've got a reader's card. I showed her the reader's card. I said, I'm here from Scotland. I'm only here for a week in New York. I would really, really like to take some pictures of what I'm doing research-wise and me researching here for what I'm writing about in terms of getting the... And she said, absolutely. Just make sure you don't have anybody else in your picture. You know, if you have to ask them to move, ask them to move, but don't get anyone else in your picture. And they let me take as many photos as I wanted. And I started by saying, I'll understand if this isn't possible. Is there any chance? And they just let me do whatever I wanted. Right. You know, right. because I was saying, look, I know I'm asking, this is a big ask, but can you help me? Right. Right. People will help you. I think that's true. And I think it's um, it's also shows the value of having those conversations because mm. you get so much more texture and details and things yeah. that you can use as a writer that you didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. People uh, are generally nice and no librarian or no historian is there to keep everything to themselves. Right. Right. You know. Right. No, they're probably thrilled that there'll be some attention paid to this period of time or this particular area because, you know, then there will be more interest. Mm. So is this a one book, two books? How, what are you imagining this is going to be? It depends on whether my agent's listening to this or not. <laughs> my agent pitches one book. <laughs> the lovely Amy uh, pitches one book, but I envisage it as a series. Yes. Yeah. It will be yeah. a series. Although he died at 31, so... Oh, listen, he managed to do a heck of a lot in that time. Trust me. Yeah. He went all over the world. You uh, Everywhere. Apart from Australasia and the Antarctic, he went everywhere else. And he managed to do a lot in that time, including, you know, working with people with cholera. He was on numerous ships. He, there's loads to write about him. And he wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters. Wow. Wow. Well, it sounds, I mean, I could see the enthusiasm as you're, as you're talking about this. Are you, is that your main project now? Or are you also writing a fiction book or, or how are yeah, you working the rest of your life into that? I'm working, I'm working on other things as well. Heavens, I could, I'm, uh, I like working on several things at once. <laughs> I think I'm a multitasker, but yes, I do need to bring out D.I. Shona McKenzie books, basically, because the readers are going, we want another D.I. Shona McKenzie book. So <laughs> I can do both. And I find it cleanses my palate to go from one to the other. I mean, obviously not in one day, because I'd be completely confused. But, you know, being able to do them both, 
I hope my agent's not listening to this. She wants me to concentrate on Thomas Graham. <laughs> and how long does a Shauna McKenzie book? I know I'm saying it wrong. Um, Shauna no, you're fine. <laughs> McKenzie. I'm saying it the Scottish way. The Scottish way is Shauna. But okay. it's, it's Shona, it's spelled in the book because nobody would understand the Scottish spelling and it would cause havoc. So I just put the English version. <laughs> um, so you're actually right. <laughs> well, that made me feel a little bit better. Um, <laughs> how long does it take you to write one of those those books? I can I, I can write the first draft in about eight weeks, but then I need to edit it and everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of these people that think quickly. So I need to get the first draft written quickly then I can concentrate on tidying it up. And do you, what's your process like? Do you write in Word? Do you come up with an, an idea for the plot or is it something that you want her to go through or how do, how do you start? We'll use that, that series as an example. What's your process like? I write in Word um, just because it works for me. It's not because I wouldn't use anything else, but I've been using Word since Word came out because we were given it when I was in the military. I was a nurse lecturer and they said, you're using this. So I know it inside out. It just right. makes it easy. Um, and I do have notes and I do have um, a bit of a plot, but otherwise I just let it flow and I just write. Sometimes I'll use um, words, text to speech, uh, not text to speech, uh, speech to text. Speech to text, yeah. Speech to text, because um, if my hands get sore, then I'll do, But and it's so much better now. When I first started using it, I didn't understand it. Blessed word I said, no matter how I try to speak in an English accent, it did not understand a thing. But it really understands now, which is good to know. Which is really good to know. And that's a that's a terrific tip for people because it's um it is I'm starting I do it with my texts to people, um, but it's uh uh it's a I have a friend who her whole first draft she dictates. She doesn't, you know, yeah. it's just how her brain and she can come up with ideas faster than she can type. So that gives her something to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can speak really fast to it now and it writes everything down and it's pretty good. I, know. I have to say, I was astonished because when I tried to use it even a year ago, I was like, oh my good goody, this is hopeless, you know. know. But now it is really good. They've obviously trained it. Well, and and the training of all this artificial intelligence is um, that's a good example, but it's also scary because it's <laughs> being used to produce things you know i don't know that it will ever be able to produce fiction um because I, we we think differently and you have to have imagination but it's certainly going to try um mm-hmm. you know and college papers and everything else they're um things that don't require critical thinking are are being done on ai a lot these days so there's good and bad with technology You've also written nonfiction books for writers. Talk to me about that. Well, how that came about is I do a lot of um, talks everywhere on marketing. But turn out I'm actually quite good at marketing. <laughs> um, and I do do a lot of talks. And I was doing a talk um, down in England and they said, oh, bring your book with you You're on marketing and you can sell it. And I was like, oh, of course. And then I thought, well, I better write one then. So <laughs> I wrote a book called Power Packed Book Marketing, um, which came out very quickly and it wasn't very long, but it sold extremely well. But then I am NLP trained, which is neuro-linguistic programming. 
And I'm an NLP practitioner, master practitioner and trainer. And a lot of what I do marketing wise and my marketing talk is all based on NLP. And that's using words and language and other things to reprogram your brain. And it can be used for motivation. So I thought, oh, I'll write a book um, about motivation for writers. And so I was on a cruise and I thought, well, I'm on this cruise. I can sit on the deck, do a bit of work, write this. So the opening of the book says I'm writing this in the Caribbean, which was actually true. Uh, So it was an example of how you can be motivated. And I use that... um, all through. It's 366 motivational exercises that people can use. It's every day of the year plus the um, the, plus leap year. The, the leap year. Yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at the cat. Uh, <laughs> plus the leap year in order to um, motivate yourself to write every day. And every single exercise is based on NLP. And I thought, well, I was never very keen on the Power Pack book marketing version, and it needs a bit of an update, um, so I'll do a new marketing book. I think I'll do the Writing Matters series of books. So I did the, the, the I redid the marketing one as well and called that Marketing Matters. There's Motivation Matters. And then the third one, um, I decided I would write a book about exploring creativity. Again, using aspects of NLP in it as well. But I thought, well... I can explore some of the creativity stuff, but when it comes to writing memoir, I've never written a memoir. I'm not the person that should be doing this. I'd be doing it from a, I'd be doing it from a, you know, basically it would be out of books. And drama, I would never profess to tell anybody how to write drama or poetry. Oh my goodness, nobody would want to tell me how to write them poetry, not how to, but why they should write poetry. It's all about, the subtitle is Find Your Passion for Writing. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I then um, gave contracts to um, other people, 13 other people who wrote chapters on different things. And I wrote seven of the chapters and that came out as Creativity Matters. Um, and I published it. I gave them contracts and I paid them for it. So they they got paid for the piece rather than getting money, getting royalties. Um, it was just easier, to be honest. And they were happy to do that. So I brought that out. And now I'm writing one called Nonfiction Matters. So it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a whole writing series. So so talk to explain a little bit more about NLP and what what that that fascinates me. So explain a little bit more about how 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 that works or how that works for writers. Yeah. Well, there are two sayings. Um, the first one is if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Yeah. And the other one, which I think is, is meant to come from a writer, but I wouldn't swear to this. It's the definition definition of madness is to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. Right. Yeah. So if basically it started out because so many pe- people I knew were saying, I've got writer's block, I've got writer's block, I've got writer's block, I've got writer's block. Well, first of all, I don't think there is a, any such thing as writer's block. But I know people think they've got it, and I'm not dissing that. But what it is, you're particularly stuck at that point. Yes? So there are different things you can do to get over that. Because if you sit down every day and stare at a blank piece of paper or a blank screen and don't write anything, 
that will soon become a habit. It only takes 30 days to make a habit, you know. So it's doing things differently. So I'm going to give you a very, very simple example. Yeah, we all do the same thing. So when we were working and we weren't just having to stagger downstairs to the study in our pajamas to work, uh, you will drive to the to work the same way every day. Everybody does. And how many times have you driven and thought, I don't even know what I've just done. Right. One minute I was at home and the next minute I'm here. Right. Yeah. So your brain is going to do the same thing all day because you've started out doing the same thing. If you drive a different way to work, your brain will go, what the heck? Yeah. So if you do something differently in the morning or before you start writing, or it will change the way your brain thinks. Now, your brain also uses all the senses. It doesn't just use one sense. But we'll get up in the morning, we'll have a cup of tea or we'll have a cup of coffee or whatever we have. We'll have our smoothie, we'll have our slice of toast. We'll sit down at the computer. We do the same thing. Do something different and your brain will wake up. It'll go, whoa, uh, this is different. Something's going. So instead of sitting down and staring at a blank sheet of paper, let your brain relax. Do some adult coloring. And the adult coloring will allow your the other side, your writing side of your brain to percolate while you're not thinking about it. Or just do some free thinking. Or what else can you do? You can do um, music, music, four beats to the bar. Um, any music that's four beats to the bar, classical music, Tchaikovsky is particularly good. It will make your brain think creatively. It's anything that will get your creative juices flowing. So. Wow. Wow. That was a long answer to an easy question again. <laughs> well, but it's not an easy question. And I think that that's also, I mean, that's a wonderful tip for writers, but also for just living in general. <laughs> Be mindful of what you're doing, which is, um, but really actively try to engage your brain differently. Yeah. Even down to brushing your teeth with a different hand. Yeah, I've tried it. I can't do it. If I try to do it left-handed, they just get toothpaste everywhere because <laughs> I'm a, I've got an electric toothbrush, so the whole bathroom's covered in toothpaste. <laughs> that wakens me up because you got to clean the to clean the bathroom. <laughs> so you're writing this series about different aspects of creativity and writing and the process and marketing using yeah. this. Don't approach it the same way you've always approached it. Think differently yeah. if you want different results. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. is it, uh, are people enjoying, they must enjoy it when you, you go in and give these lectures or they're reading the books? People seem to enjoy them. I get asked back. So one would assume they enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> so Wendy, in May of 2023, you're going to do a Sisters in Crime webinar on marketing using NLP and other other techniques and some of the things we talked about. And if you listen to this podcast after that date, it will be in the Sisters in Crime webinar archives. If it's before that date, you can sign up. Um, but what would you like, who should take this webinar? Well, to be honest, I think that every writer who's in Sisters in Crime that wants to take it should be taking the, the webinar because we can always learn. I'm always doing webinars now because we can always learn. And there are always new ways of marketing. There are always new ways of doing things. There are always different ways of doing things. So I wouldn't say I know everything about marketing. I would still go to marketing talks mm -hmm. um, because we learn something new. You get a nugget out of everything whatever you go to. Now, 
If you are absolutely outstanding at marketing, fantastic. I hope I hear you somewhere. I really would like to hear you one day because I'm always wanting to learn. But I can, I can absolutely assure you it's going to be lots of fun um, because I like to make my webinars fun. If you laugh and you enjoy yourself, then you're more likely to learn as far as I'm concerned. Um, if we take life too seriously, we don't learn as much because we're too stressed. Relax. <laughs> you will enjoy yourself. You'll have fun and you'll learn lots about marketing your books, which is always a bonus. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. As you're talking about this, you know, your publishing journey is varied and, and you do different things. You're indie and then you've got an agent and then you're writing nonfiction, you're writing fiction. What do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you know now? Or had you done so much research on publishing that you you felt prepared? Do you know what? I'm not entirely sure what I would want to know at the beginning that I don't know now. I think if I knew everything I knew now right at the very beginning, I would never have started writing, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> because you think, oh, my good goody aunt, you know, it's so hard work. I'm lucky because I'm traditionally published and I'm indie published. I'm doing both. Um, and I've got an agent who's doing different things for me. But to be honest, if my brain had been full of, oh, my goodness, it's hard to get publishers, it's hard to you know, independently publish, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, I might have gone, oh, it's just not worth it, you know. Right. And to be, what's one thing I would like to have known before I started that I know now? The fact that it is possible. When you first start writing, you don't know that it's possible. And you see all these books out there and you see all these um, people who've been published and the books are in Waterstones and things. It's just, you know, that it is possible. You can be there. Now, to be, I'm one of these people that, as I say, I just ask. So my books are in Waterstones because I asked. You know, my books are out there because I asked. And it's, I suppose it was my naivety that actually got me this far because I was naive at the beginning and just thought everything would be hunky-dory and it has turned out to be quite good. <laughs> <laughs> And you come to the United States and you, you've been here. I mean, it's an interesting um, marketing world and, and publishing world in that uh, the UK and the United States and, and e-books and everything open up the markets in some ways, but also it can get mired down or there can be, you know, all kinds of issues. Do you, do you, how is that for you? How is reaching new markets for you? Well, as a Scot, it's actually easier. And let me explain that why. Basically, in Scotland, our, big, our biggest selling export is whiskey. That takes now brains to work out, yes? There's, our whiskey is everywhere. Our second biggest export is crime fiction. Wow. So everybody loves Scottish crime books. So basically, the whole rest of the world thinks we're a bunch of drunken murderers. Um, <laughs> so they'd probably be right, you know. So that that in itself, that a lot of the big writers are already in the States, people like yeah. Val McDermody and Rankin, you know. And everybody in the States has either comes from a Scot or an Irishman. Yeah. So everybody's either Scottish or Irish. So when you go out there and they hear your accent, they're like, Oh, my goodness. You know, I won't try and put an American accent on because my American accent's rubbish. OK, <laughs> um, I won't, don't want to insult the Americans by trying to do that. But people genuinely like the Scots 
you know. Yeah. And they, the Americans are genuinely open and welcoming. So when you go there, everybody's welcoming and they want to hear from you. So that makes it a lot easier. Um, marketing in the States, I think it's just as, when I say easy, everybody will go, marketing's not easy, Wendy. It's just the same as it is in Britain. It's the same approach because we're all people. We all either like crime fiction or we don't like crime fiction. The one thing I've seen, and this is not about a difference between America or any other place in the country in Britain, it's just what I've seen. Some people, when they try to market their books, will be like, if someone says to you, oh, I don't like crime fiction, you go, well, you'll like this one. The answer to that is usually, no, I won't. <laughs> you know, They don't like crime fiction. They don't like crime fiction. But if you happen to be at somewhere and there's someone selling romance books next to you and there's someone selling science fiction on that side because it's a book fair, you just go, you know, what do you enjoy? And they'll go, romance. And I'll go, oh, Joe Bloggs down there writes fabulous, fabulous romance books. You know, I would highly recommend him or her. You may want to go and see them. Don't try and sell them something that they ain't going to like because they might buy one book off you to shut you up, but they're not going to buy any more. It's readers you want. You actually right. want readers. And what you're doing is you're speaking to people on the same level as them as a reader. And it's what they, I'm not in the business of trying to sell my books. I'm in the business of bringing people books that they will genuinely enjoy and want to read. And if that's my books, that's brilliant. If it happens to be Julie Henricus's books, that's marvellous. I will pitch your books because they're going to enjoy them. If it's, you know, somebody else's books, we're not in a, we, none of us, whether we're British, American, German, wherever, None of us are in a business of trying to compete with each other. We're in a business of trying to bring books to readers that they will enjoy and love, whoever writes them. And that's the way I approach it. Well, that's a fabulous way to approach it, Wendy. And it's also um, uh, a great reframing for people uh, as they're looking at this is, is, you know, sell other people's books, talk about other people. I also think that for marketing, that makes it easier for you to talk to people because you're not one note. You're you're actually having a conversation with them about mm -hmm. books and not just yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of authors do that. I don't think I'm, um, you know, on my own there, but I think some people are so desperate sometimes to sell books that, you know, I'm like, just... Let's all relax. Let's all have a good time. Let's all. I mean, I just I can talk about the crime community, crime writing community, because I know them better than anywhere else. But like when I was in um, my very first time, I went to um, New Orleans to VoucherCon, and that was where I first heard about Sisters in Crime and where I signed up. So Sisters in Crime <laughs> are amazing at going out there and getting the word out about people, but. That when I first went there, everybody was lovely. I, I wasn't a well-known author. I only had two books out. Nobody knew me. I was from Scotland. There were other 17 authors from Scotland. They were all really well-known. Um, the, there was American authors and really well-known American authors. I'm talking big names, you know, and they were lovely. They didn't treat me any differently. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely delightful, whether they were American, Canadian, British, English, Scottish. 
they were lovely and they just took me under their wing. And that, I think, was where I learned that you, we all need to look out for each other. You know, mm-hmm. the big name authors are delightful, delightful American authors. They are lovely. Kathy Reich, what a lovely, lovely person, you know, and they just chat to you like you're a contemporary. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, all the big names do. Lee Child, everybody. Now, I'm not name dropping. It's just that I, they happen to be at BoucherCon. <laughs> so you get chatting to them, yeah? Mm-hmm. They don't dismiss you. And that was where I learned that you need to be nice to everybody. You know, mm-hmm. treat them well, respect them, support them, help them, move them forward. And the British ones do this as well. And I learned that from them. Mm-hmm. So the crime writing community are lovely. They are lovely. I I also think that um, we work a lot of our issues out <laughs> by killing people on the page, so so that people are genuinely, uh, you know, for the most part, very very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as we're talking about all this, what what advice would you give somebody who is now sitting down saying, "I want to write a book." Well, my first piece of advice, which is a terrible piece of advice because everybody gives it, but it's just right. Now, that's hard because everybody goes, well, where do I start? Because they don't know how to start. Listen, you start by writing anything on the page, anything whatsoever. It's raining outside the window. Mm-hmm. There's six foot of snow outside the window. Write anything, you know, because you need to write. But brainstorm ideas because most people that want to write a book – will say, oh, I want to write a book. But you then need to say, well, you want to write a book. Think about it. Do you want to write fiction? Do you want to write nonfiction? Do you want to write? And usually if you say to people, I don't know where to start, um, just first of all, what I do is I'll say to them, you know, that's really hard. But, you know, I'd like to chat to you for a minute. What do you like doing? What do you enjoy doing um, in your free time? And, you know, they'll go, Oh, I love trains. I go on train rides. I've been on the Orient Express. I've been on the Transpennine Express. And I'm going, oh, that's amazing. What did you do on it? And before you know where they are, you've given them a whole load of things. And then I'll just go, do you know, you've just given me loads of ideas for books. Why don't you use them? You can yeah. either do nonfiction books. You can do fiction books. You can do, you know, why not do Murder on yeah. the Transpennine Express? Yeah. Uh, you know, anything. You know. Yeah. You you have told me what you like. You've told me what you like reading. You've told me what you like doing. So now you know what you can write. Why don't you just brainstorm loads of ideas, write them down on a huge sheet of paper, bigger the better, biggest sheet of paper you can get, write them all down. And before you know where you are, you'll have loads of things you want to write. And that's my, uh, what are you interested in in the first place? You know? Yeah. No, it's Get great. And and just write, 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 write. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Well, if my agent's listening, <laughs> I'm writing <laughs> Thomas Graham, which is my major, my next big project. Yeah. Um, and also I'm just finished a D.I. Shona McKenzie book, which is going to be edited and will be out in the near future. Um, so that's the two things that are next for me at the moment. Um, I'm going to Israel on a writing retreat in the end of February, the beginning of March, which is nice. Um, I'm running a conference in Scotland in, um, 
in the end of uh, the 17th to 19th of March. And that's um, the Scottish Association of Writers Conference. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that. We've got at least one Sisters in Crime member who is actually going to be one of the speakers at the conference, which I'm delighted about. Um, a lovely lady called Stella Oni um, from London. And she's coming up and she's talking to us about writing crime fiction. So I'm very excited about having her up. Um, and I'm also setting up um, a publishing and retreat business with two friends of mine. So it's going to be called Oscott Publishing. So we're looking at that as well, because I don't have enough to do. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a lot, but that's exciting. That's very exciting. Publishing and retreats. Yeah, writing oh. retreats oh. all over the world. Oh, that sounds lovely. It also sounds like you're a smart person who's saying, if I'm holding a writing retreat all over the world, I will be all over the world. <laughs> and I can write. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a perfect mix. Absolutely. Wendy, thank you for a fabulous conversation. How interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, best of luck with everything. And I can't wait to hear more about Thomas Graham. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. I have to say I was honored to be invited. Oh, delighted. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>